0: Joshua, welcome, man. How are you? Good. Glad to be here. Uh, I've actually been looking at Supra for a while before having this conversation and before knowing that I was going to be able to talk to you here. So it's an honor. I think what you guys are doing is great. I didn't know, however, that there is like a Jungian psychology concept (laughs) about like the Supra Oracle. I just found that out this afternoon when I was talking to someone about me doing this interview is that uh was that on purpose or did it just happen too much
1: you know that happened completely unrelated um but i do uh you know from a like psychology point of view i do uh, appreciate Jungian school thought over uh like you know uh, freudian for example um but no i really appreciate Jungian's kind of like his, Jung's young's thoughts and and his, his his ideas um but that was a completely unrelated
0: I figured that it was either going to have a very deep explanation or it was going to be a total accident.
1: Um, it was a complete so was accident. Leather. Right. But when I came across it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I ordered, uh, <laughs> I ordered the product because I was like, this is incredible artwork. It's a really interesting concept. Um, I do want to actually reach out to them again and say, hey, look, uh, by the way, we're called Supra Oracles. And just so you know, uh, we are going to be rebranded to just Supra soon enough.
0: All right, cool. Well, yeah. you get the exclusive people. So yeah, th- th- that just leads us right to the point. um I-, I know people sometimes like to just tune in to see what that project is or what it is that they do. So why don't you just take it over and explain what Supra Oracles is? And if you want sure. to also give us a little background on yourself.
1: Sure, sure. So my name is Joshua Topkin. I'm a co founder and CEO of Supra Oracles. Before Supra, I was uh, created a crypto r d Lab. So um, we're, this is created in 2018 during the crypto winter. Uh, it was a very difficult time to get attention to blockchain. And uh, what we decided to do is, like, all right, well, um, we have some very, very interesting ideas. Let's continue to use our own resources, kind of bootstrap this project together, me and my co-founder uh, my co-founders. And uh, what we did is we did a lot of research into other layer ones. Um, we studied all different types of scalability techniques from you know uh you know uh, like uh you know from sharding back in the day sharding was a big topic to how do you minimize the total global communication cost in order to achieve consensus we also had our own ideas that are actually um now being expressed into supra um that were rooted into actually early 20 or late 2017 early 2018 so we had some original inspiration of what we're doing today has already started from 2017. prior to that uh, i was involved in the SaaS industry so I've done some work in the healthcare industry for a healthcare startup. I did some work for um, a food supply chain startup, as well as um, uh, and before that, I, I did actually work for like the wrong side of the fence in in, in a like ad technology company, right? Uh, but Ooh. I did get a, yeah, uh, the truth of the matter is actually I did get a decent appreciation for how that works. It's not always great. Uh, I've seen companies just slinging data, like it's no big deal, you know, like customer information, super insecure, insecure et cetera, um, is uh, like a mind opening for me. Um, I got a great education from from that experience. And then prior to that, actually had my first startup in the cashback kind of industry, and I uh, was in my early 20s and I sold that to my partner. So I've been doing kind of internet related things for a long time. What uh, attracted me to the internet originally was. ability to like you know use your talent and skills to use your mind and to actually earn money from the web like at the time before that i should mention i used to like i i got a full full ride to study economics at a private university and i just gave up the private the the scholarship in order to play poker (laughs) full-time so all right poker and i mean it was a that was a very interesting education as well um, that period, once again, was where I was like, I got open to the fact that like, well, I can use my brain, click some things, type some things, then I can go to ATM and like money will come out of it from the internet. You know, it was like, it was very abstract, but that did, which, you know,
0: which sounds uh, somewhat like, uh, did you try to interrupt you there, rather? which mm-hmm, sounds please. very weird. If you're like 15 years old these days, <laughs> like yeah. my my niece for example she doesn't know there was an era where youtube youtubers wouldn't earn money
1: mm-hmm. yeah there was an era where there wasn't a youtube
0: <laughs> right uh, also um, before
1: that yeah yeah exactly and uh yeah so that that did put me down the path and, and I, I should mention between the uh, ad tech company and um, and uh, some of my other endeavors uh, one of the projects i was very it wasn't my ad tech company where i worked at rather i should say um uh there was a project that was very like close to my heart, which was about creator monetization. Um, so it was like creating technology called, you know, DRM, digital rights management technology, to control where your content could exist on the internet, right? And also, you can monetize it the way you wanted. So I could say, okay, I created this article or photo, and I can control where it exists on the internet, and I can create a deal, like a, I can create a, um, what's it called, like a contract, a human-readable contract, and the code would execute it. So this is before I knew about blockchains and before I knew about smart contracts. In fact, I called that um, a, a smart. So we call it the, uh, the smart composer, basically. So some compose like effectively what I would do today is called smart compose smart contract comp- composition. Um, but yeah, this is before I knew about blockchains and this is before Ethereum became really like popular. This is like 2014, 2015. Um, so I do have that like in my core that this desire to help creators monetize. Um, and uh, yeah, that's something that I do eventually want to revisit.
0: It's um, I reckon at some points there, you didn't yet talk about Supra, but but I imagine that at some points there, it must have just popped out for you the need to of oracles to just build proper blockchain products that are really decentralized, right? Because yes. if there is something that I recall, I, I, and you mentioned even backing a, a little bit more, uh, you mentioned how you were working all through the crypto winter. And mm-hmm. some people don't appreciate the amount of innovation that happened thanks to the ridiculous money that came thanks to ICOs. Uh, and all the ridiculous money, of course, a lot of it got wasted, but some of it actually got used to build products that got us to where we are today. Um, sure. I reckon most of the projects there didn't even mention Oracle. Most people didn't even know they existed. Uh, Everyone was like, oh, yeah, we're going to build a decentralized Uber. <laughs> and then yeah. when they actually sat down, there was no way they could have possibly uh, build a, a decentralized yeah. Uber.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we, we never did ICO, um, you know, so that was even harder to get through the crypto winter. In fact, we survived by building the technology for uh, one or two companies that had ICO, but couldn't build the tech. Um, this is very common, though, what you mentioned about like blockchain developers not realizing that they need an oracle. They come in, they're like, "Okay, I, I have this idea, I'm going to do it," and then like, "Oh, wait a second, how do I get this data I need in order for the smart contract to react or trigger the way I need it to?" And it's like an afterthought. It's like, "Oh, I needed oracles. Where are these things? Like, how does it work, etc." Um, to to I, I should mention, kind of, so I kind of went backwards in the story as far as uh, the the kind of origin story. Um, the, uh, what did get us into kind of pivot our research lab to focus on the Oracle problem was DeFi summer. So during DeFi summer 2022, 2020, uh, we heard like there's just so many like um, Oracle manipulations and Oracle exploits that cause DeFi like, protocols to lose a lot of money. These have a like, quote unquote DeFi hacks most of these are actually not hacks they're just exploits and a lot of times these exploits were a result of like faulty oracle uh implementations or you know other things like this so that drew us in we're like okay well we have done a lot of research into layer ones can we pivot our layer one r d into solving the oracle problem and it was one of those um it was like a night in november um where uh, we had kind of been thinking about like, should we enter the, you know, like, should we actually try to do a public network, you know, uh, for a couple of months prior. And then, uh, it just clicked for me like in a, in the middle of the night, um, just kind of sketching it on, on a couple of pieces of paper and then creating, creating a presentation to it to my partners in the morning, uh, <laughs> without sleeping. So, Hey guys, I had this new concept, basically what if we changed our core research and pivoted in this angle, we could, I think we can solve the Oracle problems where it'll, you know, um it seems like it should have remarkable security and performance uh, attributes and in the end that's kind of like the origin story they my, my partners at the time were uh, co-founders are, are very excited uh said this seems like let's go ahead and pursue this investigate this and what was what really kind of got us all the ball rolling is that we realized after speaking to other projects that there was a lot of demand for a new oracle for next generation oracle of course chainlink uh, and others were in the game already everyone knows about them but there's not enough competition in the space, you know. And there's uh, there's some vulnerabilities with those uh, other designs. Nonetheless, um, that's kind of where we kind of kicked the, uh, kick the Kickstarter to the project. We we're able to pitch it to some, you know, DeFi groups, and then um, before we knew it, like we started getting a lot of interest in terms of uh, you know backing us and stuff. So that's that all started in uh, uh, late 2020 and early 2021.
0: I'm. Um... You're spot on that DeFi software brought a lot of attention back into, into Oracle. And I reckon that's a bit of like the metaphor of the Trojan horse of the crypto economy, right? You, you first build something that, um, that infiltrates the yeah. <laughs> capitalist system or the <laughs> institutions or whatever. And uh, while well, at the same time, you're building primitives that everyone can use for everything that's hopefully eventually decentralized and private by default. Uh, right. But I guess at some point, a lot of people and even myself, because I don't sort of have an understanding of this, but I reckon you can explain it a lot better than what's currently in my mind. Sure. What is the difference between your Oracle solution and the other most known um, yeah, projects in the market, such so as obviously Chainlink comes to mind? Sure.
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, you got to give credit where credit's due, right? So, um, in the terms of Chainlink, right, uh, they were one of the first. Uh, well, they weren't the first, but they were one of the first to uh, bring uh, an oracle solution to the marketplace. And um, you know, they've 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 uh, you know uh, they've done their contribution, and uh, you know, they're still evolving into their new model and such. Um, there are some serious limitations, though, in their traditional model. Uh, which includes, you know, when you have uh, nodes that are in their individual clusters, um, like a group of, you know, nine nodes here, a group of 20 nodes here, and it's not a unified fabric, so to speak, Um, you have a situation where those node operators, they are colluding eventually, you know. Um, I know some of them are in the same Slack group together. Some of them are the same operator under different names. These are things that are just... um, You know, they're hard to prove, especially uh, if they're all they're doing is delaying the reporting of the data, reading the data first and then trading against it and then pushing the data forward. These are types of scenarios that are hard to prove. Of course, if they publish wrong data, that's very obvious. Right. But uh, the other types of attacks are are a little bit harder to prove. I actually I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but I'm just saying fundamentally, it's clear that given enough time, it becomes very game theoretically unstable that like a small set of nodes that are never changing eventually will start to collude. And uh, we've seen this in the traditional mm-hmm. financial world, you know, where we had like the LIBOR uh, scandal. This is uh, in like twenty two thousand eight, 2008, where some leading banks, including Barclays, they would collude together to adjust the kind of interest rates, reporting information. And that had massive ramifications to the entire financial system, right? Um, it's known as the biggest scam ever. Um, So that is basically when your data provider is colluding together to get that information into a smart contract. So our solution is to engineer out the ability to do that in the first place. How do you do that is randomization. So in our system, our nodes are organized into small committees called clans. All clans are the same size, 13, okay. Clans collectively form together to create tribes. So tribes are like a set of clans together. We have multiple tribes. The way that our system works is we utilize something called verifiable random functions, VRFs, to uh, cycle to cycle, randomly select a random set of tribes, randomly select a set of clans from those tribes and dispatch them to the data sources directly. So we do integrate directly with several exchanges, it's the most popular exchanges, directly to the web sockets, as well as we, we work with other data aggregators. These nodes in, on the clan level, at the data source, run consensus, And then they report it to our block producer who aggregates the results and publishes the middle value according to like the, 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 like, you know, 15 out of 21 uh, sources. Okay. Um, The key is this, though, every epoch or every, say, approximately 12 hours, right? Um, The nodes themselves and clans are reshuffled into new clan formations. So you don't know who your peers are going to be in your clan. You don't know who your peers are going to be, which clans are going to be dispatched to the data sources. This unpredictability, as long as our network is majority honest, um, will give us these extremely strong security benefits, as well as performance benefits benefits in terms of parallel processing. So that's at a high level, like from the you know from Oracle perspective, how we're different. Um, and uh, there's a lot more to sh- share about. Uh, I can go into, but before I do, please uh, maybe have another question. Uh,
0: no, no, no. I'm just fascinated by what I'm hearing. Please continue.
1: Sure, sure, sure. So. There are some new oracles coming to the table today, and uh, I had a a wonderful time enjoying. I actually enjoyed reading their papers. Now, some of these are pretty well thought out. Some very smart people have worked on this. So, you know, once again, you got to give credit where credits due. Um, One, these these models are primarily based off of like economic game theory, though. So, staking as like the deterrent. It's always better to have a cryptographically secure network. That's always the best that leverages economic security through staking versus just having mostly a uh, economic security guarantee, uh, which these other two protocols both mostly rely on. Um, so as a consequence, what happens is there's a little bit of a relaxed sensation or feeling of like, well, maybe we're not as secure, but we have insurance. So by the mm-hmm. way, we offer insurance as well. We'll talk about that momentarily. But the moment you do that, you do, like i mentioned, you do kind of tend to relax the security guarantees, but blockchains are composable, right? Smart contracts, they they compose with each other, they interact with each other. So the thing that these other projects that are missing in terms of saying, hey, you know, we have this model, it, it, you know, it seems, it, it seems relatively secure, maybe not as secure as what you guys are doing at Supra, but it's secure. And in case there's a problem, there's insurance. The problem is with their insurance model is that it only pays out the first like protocol that is like engaging with the Oracle data. They don't take into account the second order effects, right? So meaning, yeah, one protocol gets wrong data, malfunctions. Another protocol composes with that protocol, reacts differently accordingly, can have cascading failures. But they're only willing to pay out the first layer, you know. So this is something that they're missing, and uh, it's not something that they're—they're they're not going to be motivated to pay out multiple layers of it. So really, the answer is you just never get bad data into a blockchain in the first place. That's—that's that's the actual goal, right? So in our case, actually, we, yeah,
0: uh, I am going to cut you there for a second because I never thought about that problem. I've had uh, people that offered solutions for insurance on DeFi here, uh, and I don't know what they think about this issue. So like. Mm. This is not a big one, any of my friends, basically. but yeah. what do you think it would be like the worst case scenario? Uh, should a, yeah, should something like this happen? Like a faulty, uninsured contract just resulting, I mean, I'm thinking catastrophic losses here, right? <laughs> just due to composability and just like the lo- the lowest of block suddenly disappearing.
1: That's the thing. I, I it's hard to quantify that directly. Um, but I know that uh, in certain scenarios, especially if DeFi were to uh, reach its maximum potential, letting bad data into a blockchain and having these smart contracts react to bad data is can have cascading failures, and that could be pretty devastating. Like positions could be liquidated be incorrectly, things like this. So really, you have to take the extremity of like you know protecting the data that enters a blockchain in the first place. That's why. You know, it's in my strong opinion. It's always better to create a, a network that is cryptographically guaranteed to be secure versus leveraging economic principles as the security model. Those are fun in terms of staking and like you know utility for the token, et cetera. And of course, we're a proof of stake network too. We have great um, you know token utility as well. Uh, nonetheless, like um, I'm just cautious cautioning the kind of general audience that um you want to have a cryptographic secure solution for blockchain otherwise these you know like i said second order effects could be really yeah hard to swallow in the future so like once again insurance sounds great sounds like oh yeah we'll handle like most edge cases through insurance but that only handles the first layer not all the other second order effects so it's something that uh, we all have to be aware of
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, that's really important. As I said, I never thought of that, and it makes perfect sense. But if you want to just continue with your previous explanation, that, that stop right there, like uh, the importance of uh, proper insurance.
1: Um, yeah, so, um, sorry, go ahead and pause for a second. What was that? Uh, can you repeat that question?
0: I don't know. Well, just if you could continue where you were before I cut you off with uh, the consequences of insurance. So okay. just where you left before.
1: Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So the consequences of um, you know these protocols that leverage economic security, that, you know, it's, it's it's reasonable. It's not complete trash at all. You know, it's uh, it's very insightful. Um, so you know, I, I do want to, like I said, give credit where credit's due. But the issue is that when you do rely on your insurance model and you don't try to protect the data that ensures a blockchain with like an extreme sense of urgency, right? Then and you rely instead on this insurance kind of approach, you are only paying out the first order effects or first protocols that are using the, the first layer of protocols that engage with your data directly. You're paying them, but you're not paying all the feature other protocols that are composed with that smart contract or protocol that may have also had failures. So in that world, it's, you know, that's why I still believe it's very clear to me that our model is um, uh, is definitely more secure. And, and, and what's also really great is it's very uh, performant, So since all this processing is getting done in parallel, we're able to have refresh rates on the window of, say, let's just say three to five seconds. We try to get it in a two or three second window, but in case there's a little bit of delay in between the blocks in our system, then that's why I say, you know, three or five seconds for, for full finality also. So like that data is, some chains have very rapid block production, but that data that's in those blocks that are being pumped out sub second, is not really final for like 10 seconds later. So you should not reuse that data for 10 seconds later. At least in our case, after two, like, say two to five seconds range, that data is finalized and you can use it immediately. So this is something to keep in mind that block production is not equal to finality. Mm -hmm.
0: And yeah, that's like perfect because you have the three, the four sentences right next to you, better security, better speed, better finality, and it's about time. So In case the concept of finality didn't steady, or would you just like wording it somehow else?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I should to, to elaborate on that a little bit more. I should mention. Um, so in our case, our we we our our protocol is uh, prefers safety over liveness. So our blocks, when they are produced, uh, they are finalized. So it's mm-hmm. like two to five seconds. You know, uh, we try to get it in the two second window, but if not, it makes it to the next block. Um, two to th- like. I say two to five second refresh rates with full finality, whereas other chains are pushing out blocks very quickly. But that data in those blocks that are propagated throughout the network doesn't reach finality for ten seconds. So because of that, right, you can't react your smart contract to that information immediately, you should wait because the problem is when you have liveness over safety and your blocks are coming out first and then you kind of reach consensus on it afterwards is that you can have blocks, uh, you can have, uh, you know, forks of the blockchain or blocks can be rolled or discarded, you know, so that's why you can't actually do large like trades on that. Sure, small things that don't really matter, sure, it's not a big deal, but anything that's like significant in value, you really need full finality. So that's another thing to keep your eye on as a, you know, DeFi or smart contract developers that are utilizing oracles make sure that the Oracle data in which uh, the the kind of infrastructure which the Oracle data is being dispersed into the network understand what Finality actually is.
0: And This is where I ask my question to let people know I'm smart. Uh, What do you think about... um, I got schooled the other day about the importance of not utilizing flops? I I don't know. I've just read the term, so I don't know if people actually say that out loud. But like... yeah, uh, time weighted average yeah um, weight like, like the Uniswap tops
1: sure uh-huh. twap yeah, twop, yeah. so um,
0: as far as i yeah. as far as i know that's a bit controversial like a lot of projects out in the DeFi world right now are using these kind of feeds um which seemingly are easier to produce because you don't need a um, yeah, just that many sources to confirm them. But at the same time, I know that they pose some dangers for the industry and just are more susceptible to exploitations. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to collect your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, so what the kind of traditional exploit was is to do something, use flash loans to mm-hmm. like basically move the market and pay it back. That would manipulate the, the price. Um, so the idea of using time weighted average pricing is that you would get a price that is based off of like historical historical data um, that should be a little bit more resilient to instantaneous flash loans that would screw up the pricing now the issue is of course you know that's great for on-chain calculation like i mean it does cost gas but like what's nice about these what are called constant function market makers or automatic market makers is that uh, using this swap, you do get some mechanisms that you can use blockchain data to get your pricing. However, that pricing is not necessarily a good reflection or accurate reflection of what that asset is trading on in a global market, right? That's just in the blockchain information. Now that works for long tail assets that are not listed on multiple exchanges. There's so many long tails like um, you know, ERC20 tokens that are being traded, they just don't exist in exchanges because they haven't been listed. That's kind of why like the Uniswaps of the world have gotten the popularity is because you could basically create a market for anything. Um, mm-hmm. Now the, the issue, is, once again, is that um, it's not always the best representation of the current price in the world. That's why you have all these arbitrage bots clogging up, you know, these transaction fees, because they're seeing opportunities to make a trade, but then they'll, they'll dump it on a, or make the trade furthermore after they've, they've uh, made, they've made the trade and then they'll bring it to like a centralized exchange to arbitrage it back to, um, to make a profit. So, um, you know, the, the, these kind of, there are inefficiencies to automatic market makers that use this uh, kind of time-weighted average pricing. Um, I actually think, uh well just so you know we have some DeFi uh teammates and researchers that are investigating what does an automatic market maker look like using oracle data real-time oracle data like can we mitigate impermanent loss can we mitigate you know slippage that kind of stuff and it sounds like we could so uh we're we're definitely investigating that topic yeah
0: that's exciting how how does that work for impermanent loss because I, I would think imper- impermanent loss is very much a factor of the markets just going up and down almost randomly, right?
1: Um, yeah, so let's see. Um, in terms of using Oracle data for impermanent loss, uh, like in real-time basis, so what we can do is we can create different types of pools, you know. Uh, so part of the issue with impermanent loss, from my understanding, and by the way, I should mention I'm not a 100% like expert on this at all, um, but uh, when you have these pools and they're kind of managed by this kind of ratio, um, this is where you know, the permanent loss can kind of engage now, just so you know, the types of like, uh, different primitives that these researchers are looking for into, and I shouldn't reveal too much actually, but we are looking into the, the field of, yeah, looking into the field of what's called protocol owned liquidity. So imagine a decentralized treasury that is also backing These kind of pools of funds and using Oracle data to kind of execute the you know best pricing between these, that at a high level, I just want to kind of mention that's kind of the types of things that are we're looking into. Um, I can't go deeper into that though. I shouldn't not yet.
0: Okay, but I I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think you've very briefly touched on something that I think is very important. That is that not everything in DeFi or would work correctly if it's done permissionless. Um, And that's for a good reason, I think, or unless there are solutions that really fix every single problem in the oracles. Uh, Because you take something like lending, for example, uh, if anyone can list an asset to lend, then that just becomes problematic, isn't it? Um you sort of need a uh, and there are ways you can make things more decentralized by, like, introducing DAOs or things like that, uh, to that vet projects or vet tokens. Um, yeah, what do you think of this? Because I've seen many projects that aim to make uh, permissionless lending. That seems like to be like a first step. Um, they never managed to get traction because I guess they find this problem too hard to solve.
1: Well. Uh, I think AMMs and this constant market, you know, constant function market makers are not, they're not going to go away. This is a core primitive of DeFi. Um, yeah, of so course. I think they're, yeah, they, these are like core building blocks and they'll also be used to bootstrap uh, early projects. Um, so I think this is a pretty wonderful thing, actually. Um, and they're definitely not going away. I just think that certain kind of lending pools and lending protocols and, you know, uh, other kind of swaps, et cetera, Some of these some of the problems, uh, there's going to be new models of these new versions of these that can leverage Oracle's um, instead. Now, um, so I I just know that this is like a new kind of like design space that is going to be um, explored the moment that you can have um, high throughput or like high throughput and like, you know, quick refresh rates. Right. And uh, on a very secure model. Right. Uh, where you you have high confidence that it's, it's it's virtually impossible to manipulate this oracle, unless of course you know in our case you'd have to have you know certainly over thirty three percent of the nodes. Even then, a, a successful attack is not guaranteed. Um, so you'd have to really substantially affect our entire network. Um, so I'm very excited about the types of DeFi primitives that are going to be enabled with uh, you know having a reliable oracle block by block. Like imagine, by the way, our oracle data is in every single block. Right, so you can act on that with high confidence, and you you don't have to wait for it to there. So uh, that's the type of system that we're designing, and I just know that um, it's going to open up a lot of eyes, a lot of a lot of minds to a new new functional uh, uh, new functionality that uh, previously just did not exist. So we're entering a new era, um, and uh, you know these these systems. I, I totally believe defi is not over. <laughs> yeah, like you know these liquidity incentive pools and the, this kind of stuff. Um, uh, they had their place and kind of died out because they're basically a very expensive way to bootstrap a community, but nonetheless, uh, some of them have been extremely successful, right? So, um, I'm, I'm definitely still very bullish on DeFi in general. I think that there's just going to be new primitives that are enabled, um, by oracles. it
0: sounds almost funny to me that someone asked as you has to come out and say bullish on DeFi because if, if, you, if you look at things you're like of course you have to be bullish on DeFi like we're just like this is just the surface of things uh, and I think um, I you see it right now we're recording this in case tomorrow the market is another trend but we're recording this on the 24th of January and the market has just massively dumped. Um, and yeah. there are a few theories why, but we, no one knows for sure why this thing sure. is happening. It's like another controversial thing to say. Like, people don't like to hear, I don't know why this is happening. Um, yeah, I, I think are getting a bit cat- catastrophic. <laughs> They're starting to think, okay, this is over, or this was a bubble. Or, then there are some projects that I see blowing up that they had it coming. There were poncies. I'm sure. not going to name names here, but... Definitely. Anyways, some, yeah. Well, what I'm getting to here is it's always almost funny to be saying you're bullish on DeFi because this thing hasn't even managed to capture all the TBL it has. Imagine just the TBL that we could have just if we brought in more stable coins or more stable coin usage. Then you would just unlock a whole supply of cash into something like DeFi.
1: Yeah. And you know, what's happening right now in the markets, by the way, is that there's just a bunch of people that move from money to stable coins. They didn't leave blockchain. They're just like stable coins. Yeah. And like, you know, a lot of people are. I mean, um, Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it is kind of funny because like, I I have no doubt that this is going to be a small phase correction. We're back to, back to like growing, you know, like I'm very convinced about this. So I have like, I see the market. I'm like, okay, whatever, like it sucks, but whatever, like, this is so short-term thinking like we should we should be thinking about five or ten years and like how transformative this industry is going to be for the world so uh when you have that kind of view this type of thing is like i plus you know i've been in the game long enough that this is normal like this happens all the time you know what i mean so yeah
0: and if you're hurt right now and if you're worried right now it's probably because you're over invested like that's just the way if you're a retail investor and you're all worried right now and having trouble sleeping well maybe next time send you stop losses and don't invest as much so you sleep
1: like yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah people need to be careful um yeah so people need to be careful they need to be educated about what they're doing um if you invest in this stuff um you shouldn't expect to like you shouldn't need it for a while like we just shouldn't need it you know um and you should be able to like keep in there for years you know so I mean, the problem is people realize lost losses when they cash out at you know they freak out they cash it out at the loss and they realize the loss, but you still have the same amount of tokens you had, you know, like you know, and, and so it's clear like Bitcoin and such, Ethereum, behold it not long enough you made money like you know I mean um, depends on your entry point of course but yeah I mean yeah so my advice is just like be careful know what you're doing don't need this money in a week or two or a month. And then just like sis, like take a long term bet, and put it like, you know, as they say, put like 1% or like maybe up to 10% of your net worth in it, whatever, you know, um, but definitely not everything unless you know what you're doing, <laughs> you know, and you should not exactly. be worried about this. Don't be emotional about it. If you're going to be emotional about it, you're going to freak out. You put way too much in <laughs> yes yeah, so, anyway. next
0: time you're That's emotional remember. about these things remember i sold all my bnb at 13 dollars um, <laughs> I, I would have, i wouldn't need to have a job right now if i if i had to yeah. hold on to that so don't don't yeah, react like that
1: yeah uh, it's very but, interesting how yeah yeah psychology and yeah, is very very interesting
0: just going back to like, a, away from like random market commentary,
1: sure, sure. back
0: into, into the Oracle thing. Um, we've talked only about DeFi, mostly because we're at that stage when everything we're building is for DeFi. But but I reckon you must spend a lot of time thinking about other areas where Oracles oh, yeah. could be used. And uh, I'll be really happy to hear your thoughts on that. Or what are your things could even be the next step for Oracles to moving to other areas that are not necessarily financial
1: well um you know uh there almost there's many things that do kind of have a financial angle to it i'm not going to lie but there are yeah. definitely use cases out of defi um let, let's talk about nfts and where does like the oracle and nft world intersect so you know you, behind you you have a piece of artwork right um yes. and we have this idea of generative art Generative art is usually handled through some sort of a randomness on-chain. And sometimes with the help of the purchasers, like you know, they've, their transactions, receipt or hash, et cetera, is, or something like this is utilized in the creation of that. Um, when you use oracles like ours, and by the way, I should mention, uh, we use in our randomness, like we are creating a VRF service as well. Um, our randomness is uh, very unique. It's cryptographic as well as we leverage what's called the butterfly effect. So um, the uh, you know uh, from we, we get entropy into our system through um, through oracles and that from like from from large scale systems that are not um, you know uh, kind of limited to the blockchain. So for example, uh, the weather data, you know, um, it's price price of Bitcoin right now. What's this, what's the you know weather data in Shanghai right now? This type of external systems information is our actual factors in our randomness generation so we add more sources of entropy into our calculations so we have what we call higher quality randomness than just purely cryptographically based kind of hashing um and uh so back to kind of where oracles can fit in in terms of like generative art uh, definitely there that's one of them I mean, imagine having a generative art piece that you could actually track it to the Tonga volcano explosion <laughs> you know it's like this is this randomness this 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 uh generative art was created from the randomness of, from that event you know things like that imagine cool. like if you have provenance back to like real world events or like you know you take an impact like into account who won the football game at the uh at the Super Bowl you know things like this you know um that's kind of an interesting concept uh also uh in terms of nfts uh let's see here um like uh so there's a lot of talk about creator economies and and like the creator economy and using NFTs for that and such like that. That's cool and all. Now um, what's happening is is these creators are creating these NFTs and then every time these NFTs are traded, furthermore, they're earning a royalty on this, right? So they make funds on the original sale and then every time it's moved hands. But what if like uh, and that's a very kind of basic kind of NFT model for creators, but there's other models like the very common one is music. Okay. So what does NFT for music actually mean? Like you do it that way. Like I just said, every time it's traded, but who trades music like that? I'm not sure, um, you know, uh, what you need, though, is to be able to track like performance of that song, like how many times it has been viewed how many are listened to, who, how many prep plays you've had, et cetera. That information should go into a smart contract that in the smart contract should have the, the nft should have like you know a distribution of like you know the song has was created by three artists each of them get or two artists get 25 percent each the other main artists get 50 the, percent the royalties and then you can get that information to smart contract that pays out the royalties you can only do that kind of stuff with oracles because you need to get these performance and analytics data right um and then also with the metaverse so uh this is an interesting thing suppose i have some sort of item in the metaverse that's in one game and I'm in from one chain perhaps and I'm trying to get it to another game in another chain in another ecosystem Mm -hmm. but they're composable and they're like you know but like what if I need to get some attributes on its past performance maybe that can affect its strength or power or whatever it might be in this other game how do I pass that information over you probably need oracles for that as well so um you know cross-chain communication Uh, We're more than just like getting external data on chain. We're also a way for chains to communicate with each other and to move assets from one chain to another. You know, when we have to bring our Oracle data to another chain, we have to build a bridge. That bridge can also move assets cross chain. So we think Supra is going to be a really important infrastructure to facilitate the multi chain vision and uh, to enable new cross chain primitives and, and experiences that otherwise were not really feasible.
0: Have you heard of Router Protocol?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I have, yeah.
0: I, I get a chance to talk to their co-founder the other day, and um, I, I was very interested, and I, I thought his answer was very compelling, so I, what you, I was wondering what you would say to the same question. I asked him, because you see, I preface. Sure. You, you know how the crypto ecosystem is. So whenever your Jesus figure, call it Vital Vitalik, call it uh, Charles Hoskinson, whatever, uh, say something, that becomes like the agenda for the week or for the next two weeks. And Vitalik has sort of come back with his critique on cross-chain systems. Mm -hmm. It's saying, pointing exactly to that, that bridges have vulnerabilities that can be exploited. And basically, that's his argument anyways.
1: Yes, the are the,
0: the breach gets, the the more attractive it gets to to, explore, to attack uh, it
1: to attack mm-hmm. it right? Yeah, these are very legitimate concerns. Um, you know, I mean honestly, I have my strong opinions of uh, ethereum two design. I think mm-hmm. it's mediocre. Um, I think this idea of like layer twos, layer threes is um, mediocre as well. Also, layer ones can have layer twos, like all of them can. Polygon, for example, they call it sidechain or layer two or whatever. That's going to compete with Ethereum. Just so everyone knows, they should know that don't be fooled. Polygon's competing with Ethereum directly. They're not, they're going to have their own ecosystem. It's 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 very 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 much clear to me. Uh, in terms of uh, bridging technology, though, so this is uh, now when you bridge from a layer one to a layer two, you do uh you know allegedly you you inherit the security guarantees of layer one. That doesn't mean. Necessarily inheriting like when you got assets in layer two, getting that to layer one again, you're kind of bound to those security guarantees of that layer. So you might be able to move it up, but you might not be able to move it down. It depends, right? Of course, um, yeah. That's Something to be aware of. That's still cross chain or cross ecosystem. You got to be people need to be aware of. Um, in terms of uh, so so, absolutely, Vitalik's criticism on cross chain bridges is very legitimate, right? So what I mean by this is. Uh, if you have a centralized bridge or if you have very little node operators, right, who have a limited stake, let's just say collectively the stake is ten million dollars, the amount of value you move from one chain to another should be about half, like half of the total value stake of the stake of the bridge notes. Because if, if you need to just have 50% of those nodes colluding, for example, then if they can, like, you know, falsely sign things on, on your behalf, then, um, you know, the kind of the equilibrium is half of the value of their stake that they're risking to be slashed. So like you, in that bridge, in that connection, you should not use like collectively, you know, all assets combined should not exceed five million dollars. Right. So you're you're kind of in that, that that instance. So in terms of like that's kind of like the game theory behind it, we want to have is a larger set of nodes, right, that are acting as bridges. These nodes should be existing on both sides of the fence. They should have like either a light client or full client on the destination chain as well as on your bridge chain, you know? And then um, you want to have both once again a cryptographically secure network as well as staking. So you want to use like threshold cryptography, you want to decentralize it. And as long as the majority nodes are honest nodes, then you're going to be in good shape. Now, once again, you you are limited to the number of nodes, your amount of stake. And how much money that's moving between these that they could like eventually becomes rational for them to hit and run right like there's we stake five million but there's 50 million 100 million 500 million on the line right which we've seen i think i think this is yeah anyways this is the type of scenario where it gets not healthy so there are limitations uh to this so especially when you do cross-chain wrapped assets very very you got to be careful but you engage with. If I have wrapped asset from one chain, one bridge that's somewhat centralized and not very secure, and then I have to wrap that again and move it to another chain that has used a secure, you know, uh, bridge. It is possible that one bridge fails, like the wiki one fails, and I have an asset that's kind of in limbo. It's definitely kind of possible. Um,
0: and in the meantime, you have people like fractional reserve banking. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, those are interesting ideas as well. So so I, I just kind of tie up the bridging cross-chain ecosystem. I definitely believe it's going to happen. You have to be careful about what you use. You want to use a system that is is prioritizing safety, you know, and like strong safety guarantees. So number of nodes, how much stake. And if you notice a bridge has too much on the line, don't use it. Because, I mean, if it's like way too much online compared to the number of nodes in stake and the ability to attack it, it gets that's more risky, so I think someone has to create dashboards eventually to measure this stuff. be like, look this, this these nodes there's fifty of them. they only have cumulative value of loss uh, state stake that they can lose it up to like you know uh, hundred million, but they're bridging to five billion, <laughs> right That's a very unstable model. So yeah, these are things that we're going to have to work through and now um, you know a lot of this is uh, if you do have a network set of nodes that are decentralized that are not colluding. Then you can leverage like things called like threshold signatures, threshold ECDSA, threshold BLS signatures, threshold Schnorr signatures. Where when I'm say threshold, I'm saying like a two thirds of the nodes have to come together and agree in order to sign something to move the asset back in or out. Okay. So yeah. So those are much better designs. But you once again still have to be cognizant of what's the maximum they could lose, what you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it might be useful to. Do things like KYC these bridge nodes, like not not the end consumer, but the the like actually KYC them and know who they are as like individual like that might be a suitable solution. Um, some bridge designs include um, Intel SGX trusted uh, uh, enclaves execution environments. That is a whole nother can of worms. People have strong opinions about that because we've seen. Like zero zero day attacks on those, et cetera, from the manufacturers, whatever. So uh, I prefer, personally, I prefer decentralized cryptographic guarantees um, using staking as a uh, you know additional economic security guarantee. But this is still early. Uh, I don't know exactly what the end of and the end all, the all is going to be. Um, but uh, I think I I mentioned I kind of sounded a little bit critical on the ETH2 design plan. No, because did you just call it mediocre? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so, 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 I mean, the, I want to be careful what I say here. Um, yeah. I should explain why. It's because composability between la- layer twos and ZK rollups or optimistic rollups are difficult, as well as finality is elongated. In optimistic optimistic rollup case, finality is a weak, you know, you're... You have to wait a week before you can use it, so before it's actually final, because you have to wait till the challenge period. ZK, um that's still on the order of hours, right? Yes. Um, yeah, and then so a lot of use cases don't work anymore. Composability is a problem too, so that's why I'm not super bullish on that, you know. Um, but hey, it, it, it's you know, uh, I think uh, the Ethereum Foundation folks are really smart, so um, they're they're making their bet in a view of the future. And I think that's, uh, totally, totally
0: reasonable. I, the, I, I like that conclusion because I was going to ask you because I have never heard someone like outright call it mediocre. Um, and, and now that you explain it a little bit more, I, I can see why you think of it like, this. uh, maybe the word makes him a bit strong. Like the, the it if we hold its actual definition, is uh, exactly what you mean. Yeah.
1: Um, I, I should clarify also, this is just one person's opinion and I am the type of person that has strong opinions loosely held. So until I hear a better explanation from what the information I have currently, that is my opinion. Um, I, I do think and have tremendous respect for, of course, for Vitalik, but also the entire Ethereum Foundation folks. They are very, um, you know, they got, from my, from my consent, I, I love that they have such a strong sense of community. They're really hardcore cryptographers, you know. Um and uh, yeah, I think they have a really great mission. So I do want to, once again, credit where credit is due. And we would not be here today without them. So, uh, you know, we've got to say thank you to them. Yeah.
0: Uh, and your bit about KYC, I thought it was really interesting because um, I, I would say like, you've gone really deep into thinking about these problems. And um, you're offering some solutions that I've never heard uh, coming from anyone. In general. I would say, like, the metaverse concept usually depends on oracles. Everything on DeFi usually depends on oracles. I just wanted to see if you have any case for things that do not necessarily need oracles or where you think um your, let's call it, sector is not going to be that important.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me think about that. um I am kind of at the thought that oracles. Can touch almost every sector um mm-hmm. so you know like like uh, so content function market makers ams like uniswap those don't need oracles right but there's going right. to be new new iterations on that type of technology that can be enabled by oracles that have other major benefits in terms of uh cross-chain so that's the thing when you do cross-chain it's it's very nice to have native oracles and to have the ability to communicate cross-chain and to run consensus on that. That's why, by the way, Supra has its own blockchain because um, we can manage our nodes. We can also run consensus and we can reach you know, on-chain consensus and move proofs back and forth between chains that this has been occurred. Um, and uh, what else? Uh, so so where are the major use cases of blockchain? So we have uh, DeFi, we have mm-hmm. this, uh, imp- Composability in the Metaverse, we have like IoT meets blockchain for supply chain management. We have generative art. Um, all those use oracles. <laughs> you know, um, I'm trying to think of a case where it doesn't, Your there's absolutely zero application of oracles, or there's just no fit or need for it. And, and just to
0: give you time to think, um, sure, sure. I- I'm asking these questions precisely because I can also not think of any area that would use it. <laughs> um, yeah the, it, it's just like one of those things where for example you say cross chain I wouldn't want to use any cross chain feature, feature that does not use oracles like that just seems scary
1: kind of risky yeah uh I think so and of course you know the quality of the oracles you use really matter um so going on under the uh you know under the hood to understand like how they cryptographically secure the methodology is really important um but yeah, like uh, yeah I agree like to be completely honest, like it kind of touches every sector of blockchain. I think uh, I might be missing something completely obvious, you know which I'm like, oh, I just didn't think of that but uh, you know at this moment I I am quite certain there's a use case for almost every sector
0: i think um yeah i think that's right if you if you figure out any sector that doesn't need it just send me an email and i'll include it and look it um uh, I'll
1: look into I, that.
0: I wanted to ask you josh since uh you're already giving me a big chunk of your morning here would you like to add anything else here as we start wrapping up is there any subject that we didn't touch on that you'd like to cover either for your interest or for your community's interest
1: mm-hmm. Um, I, would, I could say that uh, you know we have uh, some without saying the names because the names are going to come out around early February uh, or mid-February, where we have a huge announcement we're going to make in terms of who's our backers as far as like credible sort of like really strong um, venture capitalists and and funds. Now I know like oh, we have this whole like concept of VC chains. We're not exactly that, just so you know, because we have capped everyone very low amounts, much much less than they asked for. Someone wanted to do like. Fifteen million, we're like hell no, we can't do that, you know. Um, and also, we have in total over like uh, approaching two hundred investors, funds, smaller funds, as well as like influencers and others that can help us that are coming into our rounds. Um, we're planning to you know do a public sale right in the months to come. Now. We want to make sure that we, uh, you know, because we're more than just an Oracle. Actually, we're, a, we're one with native oracles that facilitate Oracle services as crossing communications and bridging, et cetera. There's there's actually more to it that we'll be revealing soon enough. But to get the misinformation, what I recommend is join us on Telegram. But actually, even more than that, move towards our discord. So we're slowly pushing our discord as a major um, community channel. We'll be releasing great information there, research and such. We've been actually pretty close to our chest on our te- technology and methodology, the details of it, um, but we're re- revealing it very soon. Um, furthermore, uh, yes, yeah, stick around. If, if we're always open to hire new talent, right? Whether that is a programmer or it's a social media, you know, content creator or researcher or whatever, we're open to uh, evaluate talent from around the world. We are a global distributed team. Um, if, uh, you know um, if there are uh, you know other ways that we can help or use cases that you'd like to discuss, uh, we have already signed like you know uh, signed up over approximately 400 uh, projects that are looking to work with us in one capacity or another. Some of them are currently using an existing Oracle, but they are also considering moving going cross chain. the moment that they go cross chain, they're open to wide open to consider a different Oracle. So uh, we have wonderful projects that we're partnering with. Um, we have some great announcements to make and we have some prizes and giveaways. And I don't want to like spoil it, but um, our early com- community members will have some major benefits prior to uh, going to, to Mainnet. right? So we see you. We appreciate you. Stick around. Please don't be a bot like that's really annoying. <laughs> like, I prefer like actual human beings. And we will do like, you know, in our whitelist and such, like we will do actual KYC. So there's no use in using the bots. Okay, um, but all, all in all, you know, um, like I said, despite the kind of emotion of the markets right now, which, uh, you know, I can understand is an emotional period for many people, I'm saying, please have a longer term view of the world and the future of this industry. Um, I cannot promise you anything in terms of ROI. I can only promise you that we've been in the game for a while. We've been through crypto winters before. We never stop building. We won't stop building. And we have a huge roadmap of products weeks that are just incredible, that will enable new things that just weren't possible before. So stick around for that. And you're always welcome to find us on our social media. Twitter is a really common place. Telegram, at Super Oracles. Oh, one last thing I should mention. Please be very careful. There are some fake sites out there saying that we have done a public sale and it's going on right now. It's not true. Always be careful. Um, You will get it directly from us. When that does happen, it will happen probably. Let's say April, March, or most, or April, May of this year. We're not rushing into it, um, but uh, I just want to let everyone know that we're a very stable project. Um, we, our team, our co-founder has been together for years, right? And uh, we're in it for the right reasons. So, um, which is to to have a real impact on the world. These technologies will uh, bring up transformation to Earth. It'll make a lot of things way more efficient. And help create a more equitable, fair society. So we're we're in that camp. You know, we're not in the camp of short-term thinking and, you know, trying to profit as much as we can in the short run. Uh, while, um, you know, well, we do hope. Uh, of course, I cannot promise anything, but we do hope that our early adopters and early community members. Um, so we believe that blockchains are transformative. That they will bring a lot of efficiency to the world, and that our early adopters. You know, while I cannot promise any ROI return on investment. I do believe that if you stick along with us, you're entering and onboarding a rocket ship. There's a lot more we do than just oracles, and all this utility is going to, you know, hopefully be uh, the value is going to be flowing to our token holders. So, uh, you know, we appreciate you. Let's, uh, you know, look into form a long-term relationship with everyone.
0: And from my end, well, what I would tell people, I mean, just echoing what you just said, and you just said it's in a way more articulate way that I could, but like look the, the worst critique that people that this is going to send them. Uh, the, the worst critique that people fa- have for DeFi and blockchain is that they're busy owned. And you know how busy are. They don't they don't like to lose money. And, and that's like the dumbest possible case you can make for this industry being bullish. On the more on the smarter case, like there are really smart people working in this industry looking to rebuild a lot of things. These solutions when they're properly deployed are going to be absolutely better than their, than everything that's out there. And if you're listening to this and if you made it through this episode, you're probably ahead of 99.9% of the population because we threw some extreme, very specific terms here that the people walking down the street don't understand. So take advantage of that think long-term, think um, even medium term because medium term I do believe that these systems do reward people that stay in them and that don't panic and well Josh it's been an honor man always welcome to come back
1: yeah it was great to meet you and uh, please do reach out thanks a lot for, this, for your time as well
0: okay perfect and thanks to you everyone that's listening bye bye <laughs>